Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Because Money podcast. This is episode 27, the most exciting episode we've had so far. And with that, I've got nothing else to say. I'm turning it over to Rob Angan. Rob? Thanks, Jackson, and uh, we're welcome, everyone. We're really excited to have uh, Robert Brown here, from uh, author of Wealthing Like Rabbits. Uh, I believe uh, this was, I think I, I was quoted in this book now, in the second edition, as, as saying, uh, this is the most entertaining personal finance book since uh, David Chilton brought the wealthy barber back out of retirement. So thanks for including that, Rob, and uh, uh, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Rob, and, and thanks for reading my book. You know, anytime a, a personal finance author is compared to David Chilton, it's a real honor. So thank you for that. So we're here talking about RSPs, and, uh, you know, RSP season, it's that magical time of year when the banks and their PR firms trot out those surveys talking about uh, how Canadians are not prepared for retirement, we haven't saved enough. And that magic cure is, you know, saving more inside your RSP. Um, Sandy Martin, you used to work for a bank, and you you call this, I, I love when you call it this, it's the RSP hunting season, time to get ready, because your banker's coming for you and your money and your contribution. And I wanted, maybe if you could tell us a little bit about your experience on the dark side with RSP season and what that meant to the banks and, and how you felt, I guess, during that time. Uh, well, RSP season starts on December 1st when you get a list of outbound calls to make. So these days with kind of anti-spam and, you know, um, uh, it's not teleconferencing. What's that thing you do when you call people? Whatever, that stuff. Um, you, the you can only call people. Things like that? You can't do that? <laughs> yeah, those things. You have, to, you have to have a reason, like a legitimate reason to call somebody. So you get lists and lists. I mean... Big data is at work at the banks. So if you have a product at the bank, your name shows up on a list. And so if it's an RSP type product, then I can just call you and say, well, in my old life, I could just call you and say, Mr. Client, it's RSP season. Have you thought about when you're going to make your contribution? Why don't you come in and see me? I've got some time next Friday at 2 o'clock. Um, if somebody has like a Visa card or not an RSP, I have to kind of make it more roundabout obviously, um, because we have to come up with a legitimate reason to be calling them. Um, but so you get these lists on, on December 1st, and they are massive. There's like pages and pages. And keep in mind, like at the end of my career, I worked in a very small town, a very small bank branch, and I had pages. And you have to be making, this is the time of year where you have to make 25 outbound, brand new, not returning calls or anything, outbound calls a day, and you need to be pre-booking at least 10 appointments for the next week. And if you're not doing that, and if you're not calling all the people, and if not everybody on the list gets called, then you are in trouble. Like, there are incentives. You can get, like, a steam cleaner. There's ridiculous things that happen. So um, RSP season is very much the time of year, except for home power line of credit season in the spring, it's the time of year where everybody knows what your job is in that back office, and that is to get people and their investment dollars into the bank. Right. Rob, why don't you tell us your thoughts on, on you know, these? obviously this is self-serving for the banks. They, you know, they publish these surveys. We're not saving enough. They want to scare us. There's a, certainly a call to action because there's a, there's a deadline this year. It's March 2nd. You've got to have your contribution in for 2014. 
And you know, what like what is your take on 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 the job the banks are doing? I mean, first of all, are we saving enough for retirement? So is 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 reading about that a good thing? I guess for the average Canadian to kind of spur them into action, um, you know, or or is this just you know self self serving from the banks? Well, I think uh, I think a bit of each. You know, I think it's fair to say that broadly speaking, Canadians are not saving enough for the retirement. But that said, just going to the bank every February and making a lump sum contribution to an RSP and calling that a retirement plan is a lot like going to the gym once a year and calling that a health and fitness plan. An RSP can be a valuable product in terms of your overall financial plan, but just going to the bank every February and dumping a couple thousand dollars in without considering whether or not that is the right move, whether or not that's the right product for you is just not thought out enough. Jackson, have you got that phone call yet? <laughs> that RSP phone call from your bank? No, my bankers don't phone me anymore. It's <laughs> quite. Uh, I, I've, I've removed myself from all banking except for Tangerine, and that's fun online. But no, I certainly don't get the calls. But I'm, I'm actually sorry you caught me live tweeting that, and then I realized we don't even do live tweeting on this show anymore. Oh, no. But going to the bank once a year to make an RSP contribution is like going to the gym once a year and calling yourself fit. To me, that's that's brilliant. I'm going to put that on the internet, and then it'll be for everyone to see. So, so great what, what's a better way then? I mean, obviously, like first of all, there's making your lump sum contribution in February, and, and I don't know if this was from the days of, of old when we used to get year-end bonuses in January or February. I don't know. I haven't seen a bonus in, in, in quite a few years, but uh, maybe, that, maybe that has happened and, and people would deposit their bonus. But what I, what I think is happening more, more and more is that we don't have the money, so uh, we need to make that contribution. We need to make it by March 2nd. And so what are, what are the banks going to offer us? It's a, it's a top-up loan or a catch-up loan. Um, and what are some of the traps that uh, that come into play there? Well, you know, I, in, in, in very broad terms, I'm not necessarily a fan of the RSP loan either. Now, obviously, there's exceptions to the rule. Some people can then take a refund, put it against that loan, and then pay it off quickly. And, and there are varying circumstances. But for most people, when they get an RSP loan, they're now in a position where they need to make payments, which may prevent them from paying themselves first in their RSP for future years. So they're kind of behind that curve a little bit and they're paying interest to a bank while they're behind it. So I'm more a fan of, of setting up a, a regular savings plan, a pay yourself first plan, whether it's to an RSP or a tax-free savings account, but like going to that gym two or three times a week for an overall, that part of your fitness program, doing it consistently throughout the year as opposed to that one time a year when you feel like it's a bit of a a knee-jerk reaction, you might not be buying the right product for yourself, and then you don't look at it again until the next year. And it's panic too, right? Like there are people that will come sure. in on, you know, February 28th, or if they're lucky, maybe February 29th. I mean, you used to have to book time. You would know that it's RSP season. It's the last week of February, and so I'm going to be getting home at 7 or 8 at night, even though the bank actually closes at 4.30 or 5. And then there's that feeling of... And, I, and I, I, on the one hand, of course, I believe kind of any Machiavellian thing about the bank that I could possibly believe. On the other hand, I think, well, that's, I mean, people create that panic for themselves. So I don't know that it's necessarily the bank saying, well, look, if we rush them, we can sell them any product we want. Although I don't think that they are um, against 
selling any product that they want. Like, oh, I'll put it in the monthly income fund. No big deal. But um, I think people, if they, this this kind of March the 2nd this year deadline that people have, they get so scared about it and they'll just kind of do whatever happens when they get to the bank because they don't want to go back two weeks later and actually talk about the reasons why they should be or should not be contributing to an RSP at all. And, and I find the deadline, too, is uh, sometimes more about the refund than anything, right? I think we just have this fear of uh, owing taxes at the end of, uh, you know, in, in April. And so, okay, well, what do I need to do? I need to make a $5,000 RSP contribution or 10000 and uh, so I can get that refund so that I can make my summer vacation plans or buy that big screen TV or pay off the credit card. Um, you know, isn't that part of the trap, too? Uh, sorry, I just need to say one other thing. <laughs> there are some people, a small group of people, who really do take conscious advantage of knowing exactly how much income they made between kind of January 1st and December 31st, taking that time afterwards to go through their taxes and to come up with sort of, based on that income, the optimal strategy for them to put this amount into RRSPs and they can do that because they know that information and they're not just kind of back the envelope. And some of those people might be self-employed people. So that that structure can actually really help some people, but again, I, I don't think that as many people take advantage of it as should. Sure. And I'm sure. going to jump in and say, you know, back when back when I was a mortgage broker and doing that, I would get calls around RSP season talking about the home buyer's plan. You know, people wanting to make a contribution because, of course, to use the home buyer's plan, you have to have your money in for 90 days. And then they're like, okay, well, if I get a rebate, then can – so they were concerned about making it a down payment. Now, is this everybody? No, but I did have calls. And, you know, I think the arbitrary deadline, the scare tactic, you know, fear-mongering deadline that's there, you know, the banks, of course, used it to – get people thinking, but hey, it, if it gets them saving money, is it necessarily a bad thing? But if they're buying bad products, maybe. But as part of the home buyer's plan, it certainly worked out in my favor as a mortgage broker. Rob, you had some thoughts on the home buyer's plan, don't you? Yeah, in, in broad terms, I'm not a fan of the home buyer's plan. I think an RSP is designed to save for your, you know, to be honest, I'm not a fan of the phrase retirement. I prefer long-term saving to set some money aside for your future. And you know, the home buyer's plan allows you to to dip into that to 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 save some money or take some money out toward a down payment on a home, but I don't think a lot of people think about the long-term repercussions on what they're doing to their uh, retirement, their long-term savings over the long term. I would prefer, and again, it's personal finance, so every situation is a little bit different. I would prefer that people actually just reduce the amount they're putting in their RSP while they're saving for a down payment, then use their tax-free savings account to save for that down payment so they don't hurt their overall long-term savings plan as much as possible. I guess from my experience as a mortgage broker, I've never really found many responsible young people. And I think the home buyer's plan has served its purpose in, and I guess I, I'm certainly not going to take a stance here, but the most people would say, I'm going to borrow against my RSP so that I've got the appreciating value on my house because a lot of Canadians would look at their house as their long-term savings. And although whether you disagree with that or agree with it, I think that's kind of the perception that a lot of people have is the 
RSPs on one side, home ownership on the other, the same thing because they're both appreciating. As we enter a situation in Canada where house prices might drop, it might start to freak everybody out, but for the last however many years, all we've seen is appreciation. So does house that... prices will never drop, Jackson. Oh, ever, ever, ever. And, and Jackson, I agree with you that a lot of people may use their RSP to buy their house because they see their house as their long-term savings. But a little bell always goes off in my head whenever somebody mixes up the, the two components of that personal finance plan, their house and their long-term savings. So whenever somebody says that their house is their retirement savings plan, a bell goes off in my head because they're going to need to sell that asset at some point. They're going to need to live somewhere and people typically don't make as much money on their home after the cost of selling that comes out. Alternately, whenever somebody goes into their retirement savings plan to buy a home, they've hurt that other component, that savings plan, so that they can't move forward. They have to look at both. I'm sorry, there's, you can't just rob Peter to pay Paul. A long-term financial plan needs to include both. I agree with you, absolutely. Just uh, sticking on the RSP train here, and, and now with the uh, introduction of tax-free savings accounts, um, you know that that gives people an option that a lot of us didn't have when it came, uh, you know, came to saving while using something like the home buyer's plan or, you know, anything. I, I started saving for my R, or inside an RSP when I was 19, I think, and so oh, there was none of these calculations about, you know, I'm only making twenty thousand dollars a year. I probably like this. This the math is not going to work out on the other side. You know, I just thought, you know, that was that was a vehicle to save for my long-term retirement. But, um, you know, unfortunately, I ended up having to raid that plan and, and pay off some debts and then start all over again. So, you know, I wish there was something like a tax-free savings account back then. Um, however, there is now. And so that kind of leads me into, you know, we've got this, again, RSP season. It's time, you know, make your annual contribution or borrow to do it. But as Sandy alluded to earlier, we, we are not talking maybe not talking enough about who should be contributing and, and uh, if an RSP is better for you or should you just be saving inside a tax-free savings account. So, uh, what, you know, since that's been introduced now, um, you know, what are some, what are the choices now that, you know, who should be saving inside an RSP and, and who should be maybe leaning towards the tax-free savings account? Well, first of all, Rob, you know, congratulations to you for starting an RSP when you were 19. When I was 19, I was still trying to figure out how to peel a label off a stubby without ripping it, so, so good for you. Um, and, and when we talk about the RSP versus tax-free savings account debate, I think it's important to start here. Making the decision to be committed to a, a long-term or retirement savings plan and following through on that commitment is far more important than which of the two products you choose. I've had this conversation with people who haven't even started to save yet or only have a couple of thousand dollars in the bank, yet they're more concerned with which product they should be choosing rather than having that long-term savings plan start. It's kind of like, you know, to use that overused gym analogy again, it's like, you know, when you go to the gym, should you be doing your cardio on the elliptical or the treadmill? They're both great products and they both have pros and cons, but the fact that you're going to the gym and doing the workout is important, just like that you're saving and the two products are both saving. They're both very good products. Absolutely, and I think, you know, they're, uh, what a lot of people uh, don't realize, they think, you know, they look at something called the tax-free savings account and, and I, oh, I can withdraw money tax-free and we're so kind of got our heads wrapped around uh, the, the, the tax uh, uh, concerns around that, I guess, and so, you know, they think tax-free savings account, that's that's what I want because I don't want to have to pay taxes on my withdrawals. 
But an RSP and a tax-free savings account are just mirror images of each other, right? So yeah. I put the idea behind it is I put in, you know, a thousand dollar contribution into my tax-free savings account while I'm using after-tax dollars to do that. And when I withdraw it, it's tax-free. But when I put in a thousand or you know six or say a thousand dollars into my RSP and then I get that four hundred dollar refund and then I reinvest that refund, that's the key. Um, it, it, uh, and when I withdraw it at the end, it actually works out to be the same. So. Um, I guess we don't know our our like what what is going to win out in the end is is your tax bracket when you take out the money right and so unfortunately we don't know that in advance and so how do we decide and maybe I'll kick it over to Sandy and and you know who like who is who would be better off making an RSP contribution now versus a TFSA or should you be doing both? Well, I mean, the short answer is um, you know for sure that you'll have, well, CPP income. It's one of those things that you can project a little bit if you can, everything you have to make assumptions about, right? So let's start from there. So what's your taxable income going to be in retirement? If you have enough money to save, probably it's going to be more than, you know, the, what, $24,000 for a couple for a CPP? Mm -hmm. um, that's if they get the maximum amount, right? Um, so, you know, obviously then if you're making more than $25,000, maybe you should be putting into an RSP, but you can't, sorry, it's, that is a really difficult question to answer, Rob, because most of us don't sit down and kind of chart out our lifetime taxes. That just seems like an, an obnoxious task to do. <laughs> but when, and not only does it sound obnoxious, it's almost impossible, right? You have to make a series of assumptions about your earnings potential and kind of what the tax brackets are going to be like later. Um, but if you were to do so, and if you were kind of to make a series of assumptions and then kind of work consistently um, with those assumptions, so I'm going to assume that I'm always going to make more than $45,000 every single year, well then theoretically it makes sense if you're going to be then earning kind of less golly, it's the end of the day. Um, if you have less than that $45,000 in retirement, then you ought to be putting money into an RRSP while you earn that forty five. dollars and when you take it out at $30,000 or at $26,000, then ideally you have, you've, you've kind of played that tax game, right? You've paid less tax than you would have if you'd just spent that, that extra money that you were saving when you were earning $45,000. We had a show a while back that <laughs> talked about kind of optimizing your finances and just just like you've said there like you know who sits down and actually figures out that their lifetime taxes paid um, and, and I like what Rob said about you know just the act of saving is is the uh, you know we're winning there um, you know so at the end of the day does it matter um, unless there's a huge gap in, in where in in your taxes between now and retirement or where you're going to live maybe um, does it really matter? It can matter an awful lot for people who have very limited income. Right. So if you are, if, but if you're really responsible, you've got really low income now, you're really responsible and what little you can save, you save in an RRSP because that's what you're told and that's when the deadline is and that's what the banks all talk about and that's what they called you for, then in retirement, some of the things that you should be able to access, the guaranteed income supplement, some of the programs like the tax credits for people that are means tested, um, 
you won't get them because you unfortunately saved your money in an RSP and that money when it comes out is taxable. That doesn't mean that it's a scam. It doesn't mean that and then the government got me and they charged me in taxes and whatever. It just means that not a lot of people trumpet the benefits of the tax-free savings account for people with lower incomes as a, as a vehicle for what Rob is saying, for long-term savings. It's just the tax-free savings account for, you know, your emergency fund for next year. Rob, what's your take on that? RSPs are just a government scam. I put in this money, and now I'm ready to retire. I had a million dollars in there, and now they're just, you know, they're taking 40 cents to every dollar. This is ridiculous. Actually, I, I, I touch on that in my book, Wealthing Like Rabbits, and I forget my exact wording, but I sincerely hope when I turn 71 that I have enough money in my RSP that I get clawed back the maximum that I can be clawed back and get taxed at the highest possible tax bracket because in order for that to happen I have to have a substantial amount of money coming out of my RSP through a riff every year. It's not a bad problem to have. Now like everybody else I want to manage my tax burden responsibly and do everything legal to reduce it but having to pay tax at 71 is not the worst problem in the world and, and to allude to what you said Rob you have to understand you haven't paid tax on that money yet it went in when you were 25, 35, or 45 tax-free, and, and that's the way RSPs work. To Sandy's point, I absolutely agree for low-income earners, and for low-income earners as they approach retirement, the math might make more sense on a tax-free savings account, but there's some caveats with that. Sandy said, disciplined and responsible. If someone at 26 is going to start their long-term savings in a tax-free savings account, they can overall do better but it's important they leave it in the tax-free savings account. One of the, um, I don't want to say arguments, but one of the points I make inside the book is that tax-free savings accounts are often rated to buy a house or to buy a car or to go on vacation or to pay off debt, all of which are good things, but that doesn't contribute to your retirement savings. That's why I kind of lean toward RSPs because if you take it out too early, you're going to get tax-free heavily at first and uh, hopefully that will act as a deterrent. Now, there's lots of people that take money outside of their RSPs and pay the tax anyhow, so that argument can be can be played the other way. Yeah, and that's um, that that leads me into another I guess another strategy because a lot of people are now complaining about the R our mandatory withdrawal rates from from your RIF sure. and mm -hmm. you know short of introducing new policy or legislation around that well what what are some strategies that someone in their you know mid to late 50s or early 60s can do to help um, you know mitigate some of that uh, if, if that's something that they're concerned about is, is paying hefty taxes on their withdrawals um, you know I kinda had a an, an idea around this but it's so far away from me um, no offense no good <laughs> to anyone out there who's in that situation, right? But, uh, you know, 30 years from now, I, I'd like to think that hopefully I've withdrawn my RSP or, or I'm, I'm in the process of it before I turn 71 and that uh, I'm living off of that income um, in my financial independence, hopefully. And uh, I'm also still saving uh, inside my tax-free savings account so that when... When I've depleted that RSP, I'm now I've now got this hopefully you know something like a million dollar tax-free savings account portfolio that can now become my nest egg that I'm making tax-free withdrawals from. So is that a 
you know, I know it was the you know, tax-free savings account was introduced in 2009, and and uh, with only $5,000 and now $5,500 in contribution room, it's probably too little for someone who was ready to retire to to take full advantage and do something like this. But is that is that a legitimate strategy? Do you think for um, you know people trying to kind of maximize their buckets of income in retirement? Sure, it is. You know, depending upon personal situation and your incomes in your 60s, you can start to pull that money out of your RSP a little bit early if it doesn't create a tax burden at that time and start to reduce the amount of tax you pay when it comes out as a rep. And um, I had another point to make, but I forget what it was. <laughs> you have my problem. <laughs> <laughs> I do. So here's the thing, though. I think what we're talking about, even with RSP season and when you're saying, you know, take your take your RIF before age 72, um, there's defaults in place for all of these products, right? So we all have defaults, and it's really the end result is what you said, Rob. If we do the default, if we just kind of go in and make a lump sum contribution before March the second, and we're maxing out our RSP because that's what they say to do, and we wait and we take it out at age 72 probably we're going to be okay. Like if we're at the point where we're saving, we're just not saving optimally, we're going to be okay. But of course, you also have, once you get to like you graduate from, I'm just going to do whatever the defaults are, and you move on towards, I'm going to do this in a way that makes a little bit more sense for my own personal situation, then you realize the defaults have nothing to do with you. I mean, obviously, there's a maximum amount that you can contribute, but anything, you know, you don't have to wait until 72. You don't have to take your CPP at 65. You don't have to contribute on March the 1st, your RSP. Sure. So, but you can, and probably you'll be fine. Agreed. And I think that's why there, there may be a lot of angst around uh, that retirement age and when can I retire. It's because there are so many variables in uh, outside of the default, right, Sandy? I mean, if you have a defined benefit pension and, and you're reaching kind of your, your um, you know, the age where you're your normal retirement age uh, and then maybe you have some savings outside of there, you know, and that's when you start to do some major calculations and could probably use the help of an advisor, someone that you can uh, trust to help you through those calculations because I think you've had posts on this before, Sandy, I think you called it necessity Tetris. Necessity trying to Tetris. fit all those kind of, all those buckets of income. So you talked about CPP and your RSP or if you converted it to a RIF, uh, your tax-free savings accounts and, and all those things, there's so many different pieces to it that it becomes really hard to, and is it almost too complicated to, to I guess, assemble that? I can't say that it's too complicated because if it was something really simple and easy and universal for everyone, in some ways, this is obviously just kind of my own default position. In some ways, it must be inequitable. If it's if it's easy for everyone, there's got to be some big glaring hole that's not addressing. So sure. when it has when it's little pieces kind of overlapping, it means that the government or kind of policymakers have the ability to address small injustices or inequities without revamping the whole program. So I so in a way, I can see why that is. It doesn't seem that way, but it is a, sort of an efficient way to address kind of save, saving for your own personal retirement. Um, I don't think it's too hard, and actually this is a point that, this is a point that I remember Rob making in his book. Um, you don't, it's, it really, people should not be so intimidated by this information that, that their default is, oh, I better go talk to a professional about it. Even though that's how I make my living, it's, re, it's not 
rocket science. All of the rules for each puzzle piece that you have to put together or each Tetris piece that falls, each rule is very clearly defined. You can call Revenue Canada about RRSPs. You can find out. You can call Service Canada about your CPP. You can outline all of the rules, and if you think about it long enough or have a good framework or are able to do research and read, you can come up with a good strategy for yourself. I think the reason people maybe ought to talk to somebody sometimes is just to have that sober second thought and to make sure they're not missing anything if this is something that they're doing once for themselves and have never done it before and probably won't do it again. But that doesn't mean that you have to immediately get panicked and say, I better go talk to a financial professional because I don't know what I'm doing. So uh, one last thing I wanted to throw back at Rob was uh, we kind of maybe circling back here to the point about the RSP deadline. And uh, sure, there's going to be a lot of appointments. You, you know, you've got a phone call from your advisor. You've come in to, to see him or her. And uh, what are some of the things maybe you should be wary about in that, in that meeting? You know, you've got that kind of that looming deadline. Um, you know, are, are you just worried about making a contribution? But what about, you know, what are they, what is, where is your money going to go? Is it going to go into a GIC? Is it going to go into um, a equity mutual fund that has a 2.5% MER? Like, you know, what are the, some of the pitfalls you should avoid when you're under the gun, I guess? Uh, or, or what are some of the questions you should ask your advisor when you do go in for that RSP season meeting? Well, I, I, that's a tough question. I guess I would go to that meeting uh, not necessarily feeling I had to do anything, just to first of all gain information. I, I tend not to do anything when I feel like I'm under the gun because that's when knee-jerk and bad decisions are, are made. Um, if, if you're in a position where you, you can't afford to make a lump sum contribution to your RSP and, and you're facing a deadline, not, not a great position to be in but not the end of the world as Sandy said either, I would probably just at that point put it into cash or into a, into a, a short-term GIC only until you've had a chance to sit back and think about what the best investment decision is for you as opposed to making one quickly that you could regret. I remember once when I was uh, younger and I got uh, I was up against a deadline and facing a two thousand dollar tax burden and I was talked into a making like a seven thousand dollar contribution and it went into some uh, index linked GIC that uh, of course I've learned all about uh, you know later on in my life that they're maybe not the best products or that wasn't maybe not the best choice but. Uh, not the worst. Choice. I certainly did. Yeah, not the worst choice, but I certainly did feel that pressure, right? That I needed to, uh, I needed to make that contribution, and you know, this is what was put in front of me, so I did it. And so I like, I like the idea of going into it. Uh, hopefully, your meeting isn't on March second because that would make it tough to to take it home and sleep on it. But uh, you know, going into that meeting as a fact finding mission, rather than uh, I need to do something right now, you know, so you. you can Sorry, you can always park it in cash. You can put it into an RSP cash account on March the 2nd at midnight if you want to. Well, not midnight, at 11.59, let's say. Sure. No, I, I like that. And, and so then don't, and I guess my point is, so if, if, if you've left kind of your savings to a, a one-day kind of winner-take-all <laughs> meeting with your advisor to make your contribution, you know, that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world, but... Um, Try not to let, I guess my point is, try not to let any deadline, whether it's a contribution deadline or you think you're going to be faced with a tax uh, liability deadline 
Um, try not to let that influence your behavior or let someone like your bank advisor influence uh, you know where or how much you uh, you end up you end up contributing um, and, I guess, and I guess the other thing that I would add to that if you if you have that feeling when March 3rd comes along start to do some planning for next year so you don't get into that same cycle again next year if, if you had to this year that's unfortunate but learn from it and take the steps necessary to make sure you're not in the same boat next year because it's coming yeah well and it, if it's if RSP season is really the way that it used to be when I was banking then the person you're sitting across from the desk from has just as much pressure and hardly any time to talk to you either so really how much real planning even with the best will in the world how much real planning can you get done in the space of at most an hour appointment. Uh, you just can't do it, I don't think. Sure. Excellent. Well, I think that's our that's our time, but Rob, thank you so much for uh, yeah. you know, coming hey, on guys, the show and talking RSPs. I know we didn't get any zombie references in there, but maybe we can work that in with a, you know, the, it's a zombie apocalypse and RSP deadline is coming up, so it's been a long I'm time to a half hour without a Star Trek reference, but I, I held it back. <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, hope you, hope to have you on again soon, and uh, thanks very much. Well, thank you very much for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Cool. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involves no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.